Maybe I didn't love you Quite as often as I could have And maybe I didn't treat you Quite as good as I should have If I made you feel second best Girl, I'm sorry I was blind You were always on my mind You were always on my mind And maybe I didn't hold you All those lonely, lonely times I guess I never told you I'm so happy that you're mine Little things I should have said and done I just never took the time When you were always on my mind Hello everyone, my name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 3rd of April. We're moving towards the end of Lent now as we come this week to the story of the anointing of Jesus at Bethany. As usual, we have a wide range of music this week, even in our sermon which begins with Elgar and ends with M&M. Through the rest of the podcast, we have a classic song from Betty Hutton, and we end with Miles Davis' version of My Funny Valentine. And you've just heard Willie Nelson sing, Always On My Mind. 
A few notices. Our Lent groups finish this week with our afternoon session on Tuesday at 2pm on site and on Wednesday evening at 7.30 on Zoom. The free church service takes place in the Lady Chapel in the Cathedral at 11 o'clock on Wednesday. The service will be conducted by the Reverend Andrew Clark, who is the Senior Minister at Hartford Baptist Church. On Saturday at half past ten, Who Let the Dads Out takes place in our hall. This is our toddler group for preschool children and their dads and granddads, etc. And finally, the church magazine for April is now available. You can find hard copies in the foyer or in the cafe, and it can also be viewed or downloaded from the church website. And now our call to worship, which today is some verses from Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang with joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest.
for homes and food, for families and friends, for all that we often take for granted. Generous God, we give you thanks and praise. For your loving presence in our lives, for strength and guidance, comfort and peace. Generous God, we give you thanks and praise. For the gift of Jesus, for his living and teaching, for his healing and example, for his dying and rising. Generous God, we give you thanks and praise. For all that you have done for us, for all that you are for us, for all that you will be for us. Generous God, we give you thanks and praise. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 12, beginning at the first verse. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honour. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a twelve-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Oh no! When the actor Norman Painting died a few years ago, listeners to The Archers knew that the time would soon come when they would need to say farewell to Phil Archer. A character who appeared in the everyday story of country folk in its first episode in 1951. The last time we heard Phil's voice was a month after the actor had died due to the gap in time between the programme's recording and its transmission. However, Phil, the character, lived on for some months, referred to but unheard. It was a while longer that we were there when Phil's wife, Jill, returned from an outing to find Phil apparently asleep in his chair, listening to Elgar's Dream of Gerontius, based on John Henry Newman's poem, telling of the journey of a dying man's soul to the afterlife. This was one occasion when the BBC did its listeners a service with its trailers, as those of us who've grown up with Phil were able to plan to listen alone in order to shed a silent tear without embarrassment. This blurring of drama with real life is not uncommon, and nor is it new. 
Most famously, this happened when Orson Welles' radio version of The War of the Worlds was broadcast in 1938, apparently causing great panic. Living in St Albans, it can sometimes feel as though we are in the middle of a soap opera. I remember seeing Stacey Branning from EastEnders in London Road just a few months after her boyfriend in the show had fallen off a roof and died. When I saw her, she was with a young man, which seemed a little premature since poor Bradley hadn't even been buried at the time. One of the shows whose actors I've seen a few times around St Albans is Holby City, whose last ever episode was broadcast this week. I know for a fact that one of the surgeons used to go to the gym opposite the church and that one of the nurses shops at the Galleria in Hatfield. Weddings and funerals in soaps tend to be filmed out of the studio, although they probably don't concur closely with most people's experience of real life. I've long ago given up the idea of doing academic research, but a topic that would tempt me would be the way in which weddings and funerals are portrayed in TV fiction. The thing is, they rarely resemble any ceremony we might actually attend, and they rarely go smoothly. At a wedding, it's almost a given that either the bride or groom will not turn up, or if they do, then one of them will get last-minute cold feet and the other be left at the altar. The other key moment is when the vicar says, Speak now, or forever hold your peace. Peace-holding doesn't come naturally to soap characters. The funeral scenario doesn't have quite as many possibilities for drama, although there are opportunities for the moving eulogy or angry outburst. The angry outburst doesn't always work as the outburster might have hoped. I presided at the funeral of a member of a traveller family who worked on fairground rides. The deceased gentleman had been suffering from a form of motor neurone disease, the symptoms of which resembled drunkenness. Some of the men's friends tended to avoid him on account of his difficult behaviour. At the funeral service, one of the friends who'd kept in regular contact with the man was asked to read a note that the man had written with the intention of it being read out. The nub of this note was that the man didn't know why all these people had come when they couldn't spare the time to come and see him when he was alive. At this point, someone in the very small cemetery chapel stood up with a loud harumph and went to storm out in good soap character fashion. However, he found that he was stuck against the wall at the end of a row and couldn't squeeze past, so he had to sit back down again, rather embarrassed. When a soap wedding hasn't gone ahead, someone will usually say, well, there's no point in wasting all those sandwiches, and so they'll go back to the pub and scoff the buffet. This doesn't usually happen at funerals, in that it's pretty unusual for the main participant not to go through with the funeral. This means that the wake really goes ahead unimpeded by the lack of someone having been buried or cremated. Carrying on with a funeral tea with the dead person not having died is certainly unusual, but it's not unique. This is because it seems to be what happened to the family of Lazarus, the friend whom Jesus raised from death. There was a meal at the house in Bethany that Lazarus shared with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha served the meal and Mary had a different task to fulfil. She brought to the table a jar of expensive aromatic oils and, bending down, she poured the oil onto Jesus' feet. She massaged his feet with her hands and wiped off the excess oil with her hair. It was an extraordinary act. Oil was more commonly used for anointing and this was not done on a person's feet. Then there was Mary's use of her hair in this act, 
letting it down in male company was not the behaviour of a chaste woman. The whole thing made quite a stir, and the smell of the oil filled the house. The disciples who were gathered at the wake-turned-party were murmuring amongst themselves that this wasn't normal behaviour. Judas Iscariot said what many of them had been thinking. Was this really a good use of funds? However, what the others didn't know was that Judas, the disciples' treasurer, was siphoning cash off from the common purse and into his own bank account. Jesus stopped the discussion stone dead before it had the chance to get started. Leave her be, he said. In doing what she has done, she is anticipating and preparing for the day of my death. There will always be significant calls on your funds, but she has done something for me now because time is running out. I heard a story about a man who reported that every time he visited his allotment over the course of a few weeks, someone had come in and done work. First of all, it was some weeding. Then he discovered that someone had dug over the ground with a fork. Finally, he noticed that some extra topsoil had been brought in and spread over the bed. He was reported as saying, It's a total mystery. The plot thickens. I'll leave that to sink in for a moment or two and give you a chance to groan. We might say the same about this story, and indeed about quite a lot of the stories of Jesus that we find in the Gospel of John. Deceptively simple stories about a wedding where the wine ran out, about conversations of misunderstandings with a Samaritan woman and a Pharisee, and here a story about a man who was raised from the dead and a meal at which a woman used expensive perfumed oil to anoint Jesus' feet. The plot thickens, and it's also multi-layered. While on the surface the story might be considered straightforward, there are enough little hints from John the narrator to point us towards a deeper truth. John wants us to hear this story about the wake in Bethany that became a celebration and notice the hint of resurrection we can see in Lazarus. He wants us to hear Judas's pious speech about caring for the poor, but also to discern in those words the treachery that lies in the human heart. He wants us to see Mary, not just as a hostess, but as a prophet. He wants us to see her anointing of Jesus, not as a mere impulse of indulgence, but as a costly act of worship. Jesus is not merely eating and drinking with friends. He is himself the lamb at the Passover feast. And John wants us to smell the fragrance of the perfume that fills the house as the aroma of holy death. John whispers between the lines of the story because he wants us to see what is truly happening and to believe. Death is never far from this story. Lazarus was dead and the smell of decomposition that had already started in his corpse filled the nostrils of those who were wailing in their grief when Jesus ordered the stone to be removed from the tomb. It was a different smell that filled their nostrils at the house in Bethany just a few days later. It was the smell of a scented oil. What a contrast. The smell of rotting flesh having been replaced by the beautiful aroma of scented oil. And yet the stench of death is still not eradicated because the very perfume whose aroma filled the house when it anointed his body in life would also be used to anoint the body of Jesus in his death. 
You see, it is this coincidence of the mundane and the otherworldly, of the beautiful and the grotesque, that prevents us from falling asleep through John's story about Jesus. Just as we imagine that we understand the story because we know what it's going to happen, we find that there are these twists. John says one thing and means another, or perhaps he means both. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, said Jesus, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Lifted up to the right hand of Father in exaltation, or lifted up high on a Roman cross in agony. Or perhaps John meant both. Perhaps John meant both because he understood that this was not an easy or a straightforward journey. It was a journey in which death and life would be commingled. It would be a death that would deliver life. Salvation would come, but it would not be easy, and nor would it be free. This picks up a theme in the book of the prophet Isaiah. The prophet was speaking to the exiles in Babylon sometime in the 6th century BC. Many in Israel had been taken to live under foreign rule in a foreign land. They'd been advised to make the most of it because they weren't going to be coming home anytime soon. They were told to pray for the city in which they were to live. They were to build houses, to plant crops and trees and to marry and raise families. This was no short, sharp shock. Many who were transported would not see home again. They were there for the long haul. But God promised through Isaiah, this time would come to an end. They would know freedom and they would see home again. God would do in the future what he'd done in the past. He would lead his people to freedom. But just as happened in the past, freedom would not be free. It would come with a price. Isaiah remembered the bodies of Egyptian soldiers floating in the waters of the Dead Sea but doesn't mention the blood of the lambs that were slain to save the firstborn Hebrew children from death. Freedom is coming, but it comes at a price. Death and life are never far away from each other in the story of Jesus. The idea of death linking with life has a connection in cost, and it's a cost that we move on to next, because in our passage it's the waste of money that Judas Iscariot criticises. Imagine what Mary must have thought. Judah's question was an attack upon her integrity in that it made it sound as if she didn't care about the poor. Perhaps he made her wonder why she had saved this person, why she had not sold it so that the hungry might have bread to eat. He made her feel self-indulgent and that was the very opposite of her intention in anointing Jesus' feet. There's a famous cathedral in Barcelona, the Sagrada Familia, that was designed by Antoni Gaudi. He began work on the cathedral in 1883 and work is due to be finished in 2026, the anniversary of Gaudi's death. When Gaudi was asked why the work was taking so long, he said, my client's not in a hurry. The sort of building that takes around 150 years to complete doesn't come cheap. It's all the more remarkable that the Sagrada Familia has been completely funded from independent sources, nothing having come from either the Roman Catholic Church or from government coffers. The annual construction budget is 25 million euros. I wonder what Judas would have had to say about that. Decisions that churches make regarding the way that funds are spent can often be contentious. How do we balance how much we give to mission causes with what we spend on making our own building a safe and comfortable place? 
How do we balance the need to maintain a clear modern environment for those who use the cross street centre with planning for the replacement of a boiler that's working well but it's probably not as green as it should be? Or with the needs of the poor in St Albans and indeed the world? Well, the answer is, of course, that we try. Just as a by-the-by, it's worth mentioning that the church meeting at which we set our budget is one of the most important of the year because it's where we make decisions about where our money is most needed for the work of God's kingdom. Now, that is all true, but this wasn't really about money. Jesus answered Judas and affirmed Mary by saying that while the poor would always be there, he would not. And this has sometimes been interpreted as a rather callous statement by Jesus, suggesting that the poor should not be a major consideration. But Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, which instructs the faithful person to be open-handed towards the poor for the very reason that there will always be poor people in the land. This was not about the relative budgetary demands of one group over another. It was about there sometimes being just one moment in which to act. It was about the need to seize the moment, because one shot is sometimes all we get. In the words of the rapper Eminem, look, if you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted, one moment, would you capture it or just let it slip? Mary poured out her whole bottle of perfume without regret because she knew it was only a trifle compared to the magnitude of God's love that she saw in the Messiah before her. Mary knew that Lazarus would die again, but she also knew that Jesus would die but she believed with an even greater passion that Jesus can bring victory over death. Though she anointed him for burial, she also wiped the oil away, because it wasn't necessary to cover up the smell of death. While Martha had said, Lord, already there's a stench because he's been dead four days, Mary smelt things differently around Jesus. Mary smelled the fragrance of new life, and her joy over it released that sweet smell to fill the house, the church and the world with the abundant fragrance of Christ's love. In this moment between the stench of Lazarus's four days in the tomb and the spicy scent of myrrh and aloes with which Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus would embalm Jesus' body, the sweet aroma of God's love was wafting in the air. Christian people should have this effect in our world. The aroma of God's love should emanate from us so that the world is a sweeter smelling place with us in it. People outside the church should see our way of living as the benchmark against which all other acts of charity are based. The aroma of expensive perfumed oil stuck in Mary's hair as she brushed against Jesus' feet and the aroma filled the house wherever she went. May our relationship with Jesus be so close, so intimate, that the aroma of his love may stick to us and go with us and fill our houses, fill our church and fill our world. If you 
Mindful of Mary and of Judas, and all that took place in Lazarus' home that night, we take a moment to reflect on times we have been critical of those who worship in ways that we do not, or when we've condemned the way others spend their time or their money. Gracious God, as Mary anointed your feet with perfume, as she glimpsed the precious nature of your calling, 
so may we who know your feet will soon walk the dreadful road to Calvary, anoint them, with penitence at our part in your suffering, with thankfulness as we glimpse the extravagance of your love, love that braved even the cross for us. And we pray for the world in which we live and we give thanks for all that is good in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the moments of busyness this week and moments of calm. We thank you for all those people who've crossed our path this week. We thank you for unexpected moments of goodness and joy, even in the midst of pain. Lord, we long to live thankfully. Help our thanks to pour out. And we turn our thoughts and prayers now to the needs of the world around us, both far away and close at hand. Lord, we continue to cry out to you for Ukraine. We thank you for those who are trying to work for peace. We pray for all who've been displaced from their homes, asking that they may find new life and love in unfamiliar places. We pray for those left behind, still living with the daily terrors of attack and not knowing what will happen next. We remember all those who've died, some of whom are known only to you. Lord, we long to live lovingly, Help our love to pour out. We pray for girls in Afghanistan, once again refused an education. We pray that the Taliban will reverse its decision and listen to your voice, encouraging equality for everyone. We pray for all the places in conflict in our world, those that are currently out of the headlines. Show us how we can help and support all those who need food, shelter and education to enable them to prosper. Lord, we long to live lovingly. Help our love to pour out. We pray for our country, especially as the cost of living soars and all of us have to tighten our belts and make do with less. Show us how to support each other, even when we might be struggling ourselves. Give us a spirit of generosity and help us to be content with what we need rather than what we want. We pray for all who work in our food banks, our homeless hostels and our support networks. We remember all children in care and pray for those who work to find them permanent homes. We continue to lift to you all those who work in our healthcare system as COVID still runs rife in our communities. Lord, we long to live lovingly. Help our love to pour out. We also pray for all the communities we are part of, where we live, our church, the schools our children go to to learn, our places of work and our homes. Give us joyful hearts and generous spirits so that we may give our best to others. We remember all who are ill or sad at this time, those who are anxious or housebound. Lord, we long to live lovingly, help our love to pour out. And then finally, Lord, we commit the week ahead to you. We ask that you travel with us in our work, our play, our joys and our sorrows. Help us to find space to breathe your fragrance and offer ourselves and all we have to you, for you to make whole, strong and beautiful. Lord, we long to live with you with thankfulness and love. We ask you to pour out your blessings so that we can pour them out to others. Amen.
yourself for me. Our last piece of music is Miles Davis's version of My Funny Valentine, which may seem an odd choice, but then again, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you'll probably say, well, that's nothing new. However, the relationship of Jesus to the women in the gospel stories was one of love, a love that was pure, a love that was platonic. So does that make Jesus a funny Valentine? But first, a final prayer. Give time to that which matters most. Share your gifts with those who need the most. Share your gratitude to those who have blessed you the most. Be still with the one who loves you most. And live the now of every moment and every day to the glory of God. Amen. <laughs> 